This is Right from the Deep. I'm Karen Ball. And I'm Aaron Taylor Young. And this is the podcast from writers for writers, answering the question, why am I doing this? <laughs> As writers, editors, and a former literary agent, we're in the deep with you. Bringing interviews, inspiration, and information to encourage, refresh, and equip you to embrace the deep, to find your truest story, your truest message in the deep places. You can get the episode show notes, lots more information and encouragement, and your free audio download, Five Crucial Ways to Safeguard Your Writer's Heart, at writefromthedeep.com. Hey guys, you've been wondering what we've been up to here at Right From The Deep? Well, here's what's happening. I'll tell you what I've been up to. I just got back from New York. It was so fun. I know. My husband and I went to see our son because he's a playwright and he was doing a show. And so we got to go see the premiere. (laughs) I know it sounds so exciting. And it was. It was really fun. Um, I know for all of you guys out there who are parents, it's really fun to see your kids blossoming and doing things that God has gifted them to do. So we had that pleasure over the last few days. And we want to thank our patrons on Patreon. All of you help make this podcast possible. A special yes. thanks to our May sponsor of the month, Deanna Storfee. Thanks, Deanna. Says, thanks, Deanna. <laughs> she says she's been acting up as long as she can remember. I think a lot of us can relate to that. <laughs> But in 2006, she started a ministry that dramatizes the stories of Christian heroes of the past to a whole new generation. Stories like Corey Ten Boom, John Newton, Elizabeth Fry, George Mueller, and Gladys Aylward. So check out her website at www.actingupdrama.ca. And thanks again, Deanna. Thanks, Deanna. And now, here's Here's the the show. show. Hello, listeners, and welcome to The Deep. We're so glad you're joining us, and we're glad because we have another interview today. We have Kay Marshall-Strom with us today, and I'm going to let Karen introduce her. Of course you are. Kay, (laughs) you know, you and I met, I don't know how many years ago at writers' conferences, and the thing that I noticed first about Kay was that she had such a peaceful spirit about her, just a sense of real contentment, and that struck me because I've never been a peaceful person. I've been uh, a little bit of a a stormy person, and so to meet someone like Kay just really impressed me, and then she was a speaker at one of the conferences I was speaking at as well. She was one of the keynoters, and she talked about something she's going to share with us in a little bit about memorizing scripture and how important it was. And I was so impacted by that. It just changed everything for me. So I'm delighted that Kay is here. In addition to being just a terrific person, she is a traveler. Uh, She rails against social justice wherever she encounters it, and she calls herself a passionate citizen of the world. She's got 39 published books, seven of which have seen book club selections, 12 have been translated into foreign language, and one has even been optioned for a movie. So she's out there shaking the world with the stuff that she's doing for God. We're so excited to have her here. Her um, writing has appeared in a number of volumes, including three versions of the NIV devotional Bible and the devotional book, My Heart, Christ's Home Through the Year. So Kay, welcome to the deep. Thank you. What a privilege and a joy it is to be here with you. We are delighted to have you here, and I actually had the privilege of hearing you speak at Mount Hermon as well, just recently, so that's going to be fun. We'll talk more about that. But first, Kay, um, we want to ask you what we ask everybody. What does the deep mean to you? 
Well, the deep to me means the hard places. Mm. That's when faith is a little more difficult to come by, when um, God seems farther away, we seem like we're on our own. So that's what it means to me. I have been through some hard places, but when I've been in great places, I feel the deep in a different way, to be deeply into the lap of God. Mm-hmm. Well, talk about some of those hard places. Let, let's pick one. I know you have a lot. <laughs> well, our house burned, and yeah. it went three books in progress. Oh, gosh. Um, oh, my gosh. One of them was actually completed and was already being advertised and sold in Zondervan's catalog. Oh, and my Zondervan gosh. And Zondervan had lost a copy because they had a virus in their computer. So they said to me, when we were on vacation, they said, when you get home, send me a copy of the book as soon as you can. Well, there was no book to send. Oh. So, okay, writers, everybody, with- <laughs> let's just have a moment of silence and grieving. <laughs> Holy cow. That's deep. <laughs> that is deep. What, what was your first thought? Yeah. What did you do when you discovered that there was no book? I, I didn't know what to do. I thought, I've got to rewrite it. And that's actually what I did. But of course, oh my. all my research and everything was gone, too. But I rewrote it and did one page at a time and zipped it off to Zondervan and did the next page and zipped it off. And the book came out. Oh, my. Um, okay, wait a minute now. So, and- Let, let's review here. Your house is burned down and you're still writing a book. How, how logistically <laughs> did that work out? Well, actually, when the house burned, we were in England. We were, my husband was dying of a terrible condition and we were on vacation. Uh, or we just, I decided we needed to take one last vacation together. My children were ready to start college. Oh. So we were actually in England. We had a little bit of a, um, I sort of say a break. I guess it wasn't really a break before we came home to the burned out house. <laughs> wow. Other than that, everything was great. <laughs> <laughs> How long had your husband been sick? He died. This was a genetic condition that we didn't know he had. Uh, and it showed itself probably 15 years before he died. Oh, my yeah. word. Were you being his caregiver for that long? I was. Yeah, I really was. In this, and that I did a book on that, as a matter of fact, because <clears throat> I couldn't find any books for caregivers to help us know how to steer through this kind of a thing. So it was really difficult and then, of course, all our insurance was immediately canceled because they said it was a pre-existing condition. Ugh. So I was supporting everybody on my writing, too. So other than that. So no, no deep places in your life at all. <laughs> no, no. But that's, that's what cow. I think of when I think of deep, because some great things came out of even those awful situations. Okay, uh-huh. such as? Learning to trust God. Yeah. Mm. Um, but learning... What I should have known is that the writing wasn't my writing. It came from God because my brain stopped. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> Just learning what I was able to do when I had to mm. and turning not, not only my husband over to God, but also my children mm. who were away from home because of college. Wow. So we made it. 
So what did you what did you feel were the biggest struggles as you're trying to be a caregiver and you're trying to support your family with your writing? How what, what did you feel was the biggest struggle and what did you learn the most through that? Well, two two things. One thing was we were very very active in our large church. But everybody just sealed up tight. Nobody came to visit. Nobody, uh. even the pastors didn't come to pray with my husband, even though I requested it repeatedly. I think the thing was, it was just hard to see what was happening to him uh. um, and how, and they, they just couldn't see that. So I learned that I cannot depend on people. I mean, I don't mean that in a, in a derogatory way. I mean, people are not the place we should put our our trust and our dependence. Right. It has to be in God. Right. So how did so you do I that? I learned that. How did you do did that? I do because that? I know that for me, I'm I'm such a social person, I'm such an extrovert, that my first thing to do is to reach out to people and to find support and to be able to talk to people. So so when you felt like you were in this place of isolation where they weren't reaching out to you, what what did you do? I went to a Christmas party. <laughs> and I didn't really want to go because I thought I shouldn't, but I got a babysitter and went. And all I could think of was what was going on, what I still had to do, what had mm-hmm. to be what my books that were getting behind. And I was standing by the fireplace and a woman I'd never seen before came up and stood on the other side. And I had to talk. I had to. And I just started pouring my heart out to her. She mm. said, how are you? That was the mistake. <laughs> and so I just started Boring myself. And I purposely took a breath in the middle of a sentence so that I wouldn't come to an end of a sentence and breathe and she'd leave. I yeah, could wow. not let her go. And I talked and talked. And afterward, I was just humiliated. I went home. But when I saw that woman later, she said, I understood. I knew you were in pain and I have been praying for you nonstop since that. Wow. And I thought, you know, God, even in that, God was taking care of me at that right. point. Wow. So things like that happened. I I could not really take a shower or take a bath or anything because I had to be with my husband all the time. He would, you know, throw things out of the freezer and, and mm. go peek in the neighbor's windows and stuff. I had to be with him all the time. And mm. one day the, the postman came to the door and said, you have, I have a package for you. And I said, oh, will you please come in and stay with my husband? Just read him a story while I go take a bath. I'll take it really fast. And, you want to and he looked at me and he said, okay. And he <laughs> wow. <laughs> so you never know where the help is going to come from. <laughs> well, and I think one of the most valuable things is that you asked him for help. I mean, I realize it came out of a place of desperation, but, but we're often <laughs> it came out so... Of a deep place. Right. We're often so reticent to ask people for help. And and I think there's a lesson in that, that we need to be open and vulnerable enough to do so. Yeah. Uh, How did you get words written during during that time? Practically speaking, what would you do? I wrote at night. I stayed up most most all night and and wrote and tried to just sit in a chair and get little catnaps during the day. But when I get stay up too late and I'm too sleepy, I start hallucinating. And I would see my grandma outside the window and I'd say, okay, grandma, I know what you're saying. Get to bed, but just hold on. I got to do this. <laughs> and so I, I really 
had a, a nice time with my grandmother during the days <laughs> who died many, many years before. Good heavens. <laughs> but, but that's what I had to do. I had to, to write at night. Wow. Wow. And she's got 39 books, people. Okay. I'm just saying an article. Actually, 44 now. Oh, <laughs> oh my. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. and counting. Oh, one of the things that I love what you wrote on um, on your website was you talked about being a passionate citizen of the world. And so I'm guessing you've done some world travel. Oh my, you should see my passport. <laughs> I have. And the thing is, people say, oh, did you have a nice time? I say, no, uh, no, <laughs> I was in a... <laughs> I was I was in a refugee camp in Sudan. It wasn't lots of fun, you know. But um, so mostly what my traveling is, I write about social justice issues, and mm-hmm. most of my traveling is among the poorest and the most destitute and the most neglected people of the world. And I I especially look for the the uh, people who know Christ, and I ask them, what can we do for you? How can we work alongside of you? How can we help you? And, and how can we learn from you as well? Mm-hmm. So that's generally what I do. And the stories that I hear are heartbreaking in many cases. Well, what's an example of one that touched you the most? This is one that, that I told just recently, but it was in, when, we, when I was in North Africa, and in a country there, it's hard to tell the names of the countries because they're all, you know, very uh, hidden, the Christians are. But the Christian women met me in the middle of the night. They had sheets over them so that I couldn't see them, so that if I was stopped, I wouldn't be able to to identify, identify anybody right. Wow. Yeah, for their protection. And one of the women said to me, she said, the only reason the few Christians that are here are allowed to exist is because of the pressure your country puts on our country. And the only reason there's any pressure put on our country is because the Christians in your country put pressure on your government. But mm-hmm. the day that pressure stops is the day we will be wiped from the face of the earth. They said, mm-hmm. our total existence depends on you, and you don't even know where we exist. Mm-hmm. You in America don't even know we're here. Mm-hmm. And and I just cried. I thought, it's it's true. It's true. So everybody listening to this podcast can now pray for these women. That's right. That's exactly right. In North Africa. And um, it's the, the struggle is so great in so many of those countries. Okay, Kay, what got you involved in this to begin with? You know, where did this passion come from? How did God birth this passion for um, social justice in you and to go? Not many people go, yay, I'm going to go traveling to the poorest, hardest places in the world. <laughs> pick me, pick yeah. me. How did that happen? That's right. Well, it was interesting. I um, It was after my husband had died, and I was doing a lot of reading, and I, I like to read biographies of people. And I was reading about Marie Antoinette. Mm -hmm. And um, Mm -hmm. I read in there about how, you know, at that time, there was great famine in in the area and the poor people were starving in Paris. And she decided to have all the royals over for a big dinner. So she had them over. And there was so much food that the tables were literally sagging with Mm -hmm. the food. And when after three days, the royals all went home, 
and they, there was still leftover food. And Marie Antoinette said to her husband, she said, you know, we shouldn't throw all this food away. Let's, let's put it on the streets so the poor people can eat it. And um, he said, okay. So they had the, the servants do that. And King Louis and, and uh, Marie Antoinette watched from the windows of the tower as the people of Paris were crawling on their hands and knees to <sighs> lick the food off the streets. They were so starving. Wow. And Marie Antoinette said to her husband, how, how kind we are to our, to our uh, peasants here. They must love us. And down in the streets, they were saying, we are going to have your head, which they did. <laughs> and, it, and the thing was, Marie Antoinette was not cruel. She was just totally clueless. And when I got home, uh, I mean, after I read that book, was we experienced 9-11 and the mm. destruction of the Twin Towers. And I went to church that Sunday, and one of the elders stood up and he said, we need to pray for the people who were affected by this awful situation. And he said, we are so good to the world, you'd think they would love us. And I just gasped. We are Marie Antoinette. Jeez. We wow. have no idea what, what the world needs, what the world wants what we can do for them and where we need to back up. We don't know. And so I approached all the editors I'd been working with and suggested a book of going around to the hardest places of the world and talking to the Christians and saying, what do you need? What mm. can we do? And where can we step back and learn from you? Mm. And every one of the editors said, we, we can't do it. It's a good idea, but nobody cares. Nobody cares oh, in this gosh. country about anybody outside our borders and the book won't sell. Finally, it, uh, there was finally a group that I worked with, Partners International, and they helped me to decide where to go and how to do it. Mm. But the book was published by InterVarsity Press, and they said it probably won't sell, but we want to do it because it should be written whether it sells or not. And it was one of their mm. top sellers that year. People oh do care. We yeah. just don't know. People don't know. And when they know, they don't know what they can do. That's how I got into it. What's wow. the name of that book? I can put a link for our listeners. That book is Daughters of Hope. Okay. Daughters of Hope. And then after that is Forgotten Girls in that same that same series. Mm. And the the one that I did on the the organization that helped to sponsor me to go the first time is Harvest of Hope. So those are the three major books that are written in that in that along that line. And tell stories of the women I've met, people. Wow, I love it. I'm For all the listeners, we'll have links in the show notes so you can check those out. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Okay, I love, I've heard you talk about a story before about um, what encouraged you to start um, memorizing scripture. Tell our listeners that, because I think that's just amazing. Well, it, it was when I was in China. Uh, doing some some of the same work that I'm telling you about. And um, I was invited to go to a house church. Uh, it was not on a Sunday, and there was nobody there. And they said, be really ready to run if we tell you to, because it's illegal for uh, uh, people that are not Chinese to be in Chinese homes. Okay. Were you and scared? First, tell me if you were scared. I have gotten over being scared. <laughs> um, I, I have got, I have been 
imprisoned, and I have been held at gunpoint, and all these things, and I've just gotten over being scared. Oh my word! <laughs> so okay, I, we'll I, cover those I, stories I, next, I, everyone. I, okay. Come back to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but as I was in that uh, house, they were showing me around, just a little house, and uh, the living room had one, two pieces of furniture, a table, big table, and one little chair. And the men took the wood off, top off the table, and it was actually a hidden baptismal. So I wow. thought that was kind of neat. But I was looking at that, and a woman came in, little old woman came in, sat down in the chair, took out a piece of paper from her pocket and a pencil, and just kind of sat there holding the pencil. And I said to the to the translator, what does she want? And she said, well, she said, you know, we don't have much of the Bible, and she wants you to start reciting some of it so that we can write it down and we can put it in our collection and we can share it with other, with other churches. And I said, um, recite some of it. And I thought, well, I know verses. She said, no, we want you to recite chapters. I said, chapters? <laughs> oh, dear. And um, I thought, well, I'll, I'll start with, you know, the 23rd Psalm. I can do that yeah. one right off my head. And she said, start with Romans. We don't have any Romans. It's illegal in this country. And we, and if you could just do a couple of chapters of Romans, it would mean everything mm-hmm. to us. And I said, chapters of Romans? Oh, dear. And I said, I, I, I don't know any. And oh, she my. said, oh, you don't have Romans either? I said, no, 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 I, we <laughs> have it. I have it, you know, my shelf in my office, and I have it in different rooms. I have my computer on my phone, but I don't know it. And that woman gave me such a look of disdain when the translator told her what I'd said. She picked up her paper, picked up her pencil, turned her back on me, and stalked out of the room. Oh, and the thing is, my favorite chapter of the Bible is Romans 8. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, you think of what I could have told them yeah. if I had known that chapter. I oh. could have said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Right. And I could have said, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And then we, I could have said, what then shall we say in response to all of these things? Hmm. If God is for us. Who can, who can be against, be against us? us. Right. Oh, he gosh. who didn't spare even his own son, but lifted him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, gloriously, graciously give us all things? And then all the way down to what can separate us from the love of Christ, trouble or hardship, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But I couldn't say that because I didn't learn, I didn't memorize Romans 8 until I got home. But I never, ever want to be in that situation again. So I've been learning major passages that I think are especially appropriate for the for the Holy Spirit to bring to my mind yeah. when I'm in a situation where I need to do that. Yeah. 
Right. And I got to I got to tell you, even I mean, I've heard this story before, and and even sitting here listening as you were reciting the words from Scripture, I just got chills all over. the The power mm-hmm. of God's word and the impact that it has yeah. on us, we take it so for granted right. without recognizing yeah. that these are the words of life. And how can we, how can yeah. we not consign them to memory into our hearts that God can use them when the time is right? Yeah, right. That's okay, exactly so, right. so. Just very quickly, share with us when you were held at gunpoint. Yeah, we need to know that now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was in Nepal, and uh, the Maoists were taking over. But we decided we were going to go ahead and go where we were going to go anyway. And if they asked us where we were from, we'd say Canada, like we always do. <laughs> safer. <laughs> and they can't, read, they can't read what's on our passport anyway. Right. So... Um, so we thought we were safe, but we were stopped by the Maoists. They held us for um, about a day and a half. And then they said they were going to let us go since we weren't from the U.S., we were from Canada. And they got in the car with us, but put the gun to my head. And yeah. as we drove down, I thought, boy, I hope we don't hit a bump. <laughs> you know, but it turned out all right. They let us go, and all is well. <laughs> <laughs> You've been everywhere. What, out of all of your travels, out of all of the things that, that you've experienced, um, what would you say is one thing that our listeners could take away or or could do or could be encouraged by? I think that one of the most impacting things that has happened is my time in the Sudanese refugee camp. They were holding in out of Khartoum. They were holding the the South Sudanese there. It was mostly women because the men had been killed and just women and children. But they they told me they said we we hate it here. We just hate it here, and we we want badly to go home. But as long as we're here, we will be missionaries yeah. for Christ. <laughs> the guards would come by and say, "What are you doing?" They'd be singing and clapping and dancing. Why are you happy? Do you not see where you are? Hmm. And they said, oh, yeah, come and listen. And by the time (laughs) South Sudan became a country of its own, and they sent all those people back, by that time, and they closed down the refugee camp, but notes of pride for Sudan, which is Muslim, uh, and South Sudan is Christian, with with, uh, Muslim, the Muslim Sudan, if they said our country, our capital city of Khartoum will never, ever have a Christian church. Never. Well, today, there are 14 known Christian churches. Wow. And every one of them has been started by one of those guards who came to Christ mm. because those women determined they were going to be missionaries wow. wherever they were. So, and I so just there's, love those Sudanese people. Yeah, There's the word for each one of us today as, as we're listening to you and being amazed by what God has done through you, that he will do the same thing if we just present ourselves to him. And if we're willing then to do what it takes to be a missionary for God wherever we are, in our writing, in our families, in everything. Kay, thank you so much for spending this time with us. You have so many stories. We're going to have to have you come back on again and share lots more. But we just really appreciate your time with us and your reminder of the importance of knowing the word deep in our hearts and in our memories and of being willing to be a missionary wherever God has us. May he continue to bless you and what you do for him. 
Well, thank you. And thank you so much for allowing me to be in this place that is in a deep and a positive way. Thank you. (laughs) You Thanks, Kay. Hey, guys, thanks for joining us today. We hope you found it helpful. And if you know someone else who needs this podcast, please share it. You can find backlist episodes and lots more resources at our website, rightfromthedeep.com. Yep, we'd love to connect with you guys there. So until next time, embrace the deep. Your writing and your life will never be the same. Amen. Amen.